with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Today I have Robbie Crabtree. He spent the first eight years of his career as a trial lawyer. He tried 102 jury trials on robberies, murders, child abuse cases. His experience doing this work helped him take what he learned and he coached the National Mock Trial Team at SMU Law School. But he wanted to share what he had learned there with others. So he founded Performative Speaking as a way to share what he had learned as a trial lawyer for founders and entrepreneurs in the startup and tech world. Over the past 18 months, he's worked with hundreds of founders, helped clients raise tens of millions of dollars, and run his course for over 135 people. Robbie believes that you have a story inside of you. It's one worth sharing. And it's one that can change the world. So, Ravi, I'm going to go a couple different directions at you right now as we start up. But you're in Texas. We had this magical three days in West Texas. I, I wasn't, I had this perception of West Texas that was very different than what it was. But the mountains, and we were in Alpine and Marfa. And then we had a couple days just outside of Austin in Dripping Springs. And I don't think you're too far from there, are you? So I know Dripping Springs quite well because it's actually growing up. I played baseball. I played through college, actually. Did you? And the, the team that I played on in high school was based. We had half our team that was based out of Dripping Springs and half the team was based out of Houston. Oh. And so I ended up spending a lot of time actually in Dripping Springs before it really became Dripping yeah. Springs. And now it's it's just blown up and it's this huge place. But yeah, it, it's, it's, a, it's really fun out there. And then Marfa is a huge kind of hipster community that's really yeah. blown up and influencer. So yeah, it's a, it's a good spot. 
yeah, it just amazing. And then we did Guadalupe Mountains National Park, and that was a lot of fun. And so we'd spent some time in New Mexico, but love that part of the country. And and I'm so excited to have a conversation with you. You know, I was introduced to you because of a gentleman named Ari Lewis, who's now in L.A., blowing up with payload, doing incredible things on Twitter. But you do incredible things on Twitter. I mean, I think you spent, as I watched from afar, you know, you spent kind of the last 20 months really amassing a following. And it's just incredible. I love your frequent updates, your posts, your thoughts. Uh, talk a little bit about that adventure real quick. I, I will say I love I love Ari's approach to the growth <laughs> is anytime something space is mentioned, he would plug his newsletter. Yeah. And oftentimes it was Elon talking about SpaceX. And it was just like constantly, every time you've seen Elon tweet about space, you knew Ari was going to like swoop in and say, <laughs> if you like this, you should sign up for our newsletter. It was just relentless. It was beautiful. <laughs> I was going from a world in the legal space that was relatively unknown in yeah. the tech startup world. I, I don't come from an engineering degree. I don't come from a big fang company. Like I don't have those credentials that a lot of them are familiar looking at. But I really think that it's it's powerful and beautiful to bring these ideas and things that are working from other industries and essentially move into something different and say, hey, I've learned all this in this industry that you know nothing about, and yes. it applies directly to what you care about. And so really, I, I was thinking to myself, how do I demonstrate that expertise and that credibility in a new space? And yeah. Twitter is where everybody in the tech world lives. Yeah. So I said, let's just start talking about it. Like there's no better way than just putting content out there, like showing the way that I think, showing the way that I approach this. And by doing that, you just started to get people who were resonating, right? Early on, it was like that. I was like the public speaking guy and the trial lawyer guy. <laughs> and it moves into, okay, well now people know me for public speaking. I can start moving into more like strategy. And then I can move more into storytelling and how that affects founders when they're fundraising, leading teams and how I've been able to help people do that. And then it leads into like a lot more strategic storytelling communication is what I really call it. Yeah. But it's like this journey. You, you have to kind of build credibility piece by piece by piece by showing kind of like your, th your, your thinking and the journey. So people, when they get there, it's that famous Steve Jobs quote, right? You can only connect the dots when you look backwards. You have to just trust with, whether it's you believe in karma or destiny or God or whatever it is, the universe that it will provide if you do the right things moving forward. And that's really kind of what has happened is as I look back, I'm like, everything makes sense to me. At the time, I was just taking the best guess that I had and it happened to work. Yeah. Well, I, I think that quote from Jobs is from that Stanford graduation it's, speech. What I, I absolutely love that, that talk. I, I've used that in class, actually. I love what you said about moving from a space like law, a trial attorney, into this new realm. There's an awesome book. If you haven't heard of it or read it, it's called Range, but it's by Epstein. And essentially, basically what he says, I think the subtitle of the book is how generalists thrive in a specialized world, because he's talking about exactly kind of what you're communicating here that, look, oftentimes people from, you know, speaking of Elon, not necessarily the heart of the auto industry or the space industry, but these people from the margins who walk in and view that space from a totally different direction can just transform. They can transform the industry. They can transform the thinking in that space. And I think you're doing exactly that, right? I mean, you're bringing in knowledge that is brand new 
to maybe some of the folks who've been in this space, you know, the communications or rhetoric professors, right? <laughs> I mean, like I'm bringing in like Aristotle, the art of rhetoric, and I'm bringing in Cialdini's persuasion principles. Yep. And I'm bringing in Ogilvy's advertising principles. I'm bringing in Pixar's storytelling principles. I'm bringing in like MLK and JFK and what they did well and Amanda Gorman and slam poetry and rapping from Eminem and like my life speaking to people and convincing them to, you know, do really serious things when somebody had been hurt or killed in a courtroom and saying, Hey, all this stuff that I learned that I had to be really, really good at in order to succeed applies to what you're doing. You just don't realize it yet. And like, we can essentially unlock this whole new world and we're seeing it in the tech space right now in the startup world, even in, you know, major businesses is just storytelling, storytelling, storytelling. You know, there's, there's so many essentially quotes you could pull out. Like I love the one by Ben Horowitz. It says, the story is a strategy. Steve mm-hmm. Jobs says the storyteller is the most important person in the world. Like we're getting this moment where people are realizing it, but now they need people who can essentially be that guide. If we think of the hero's journey, right? Yep. They're the hero. Somebody needs to be the guide. And that means you need to actually understand what to teach them. Well, and, and the, whole, the whole notion around story, I, I couldn't agree more. I was just reading a book Really, and it's a book about deep learning. So it's how people really, truly learn at a very deep level. Essentially, the author in this book was was talking about the importance of art and aesthetics as a way that we learn. And so storytelling since the beginning of time has been fundamental to how we learn. But it's not something we teach. It's not a skill we necessarily necessarily develop in high school. So talk about some of the principles that you're sharing with some of these founders, some of these individuals who are trying to craft that work, what are some themes you see as you coach people to get better at doing that work? You know, I think sadly you, you called it out. It's like the 1900s, they stopped teaching rhetoric and they stopped teaching oratory for the rest of history. That had been a skill that had been taught because it was so important, but they came to this conclusion that because all of it was in books now, They didn't need to teach that. People would just learn it and study it on their own. Yeah. Now, I also have my own belief that it was partly done because the places that did still teach it were at elite institutions. And if you're an elite institution, you understand how to communicate and to persuade people, you have an advantage compared to everybody else. Yes. And so I think it was done on purpose as well to basically take control and the ability to persuade more people. But that being said, we need other, we need other individuals to really understand what this skill is about. And when it comes down to it, so many people, first off, just have a really poor mindset that they don't have a story worth sharing. Yeah. And, and I mean, you read that kind of opening piece about me. Like, I believe that every person has a story inside of them and it's a story worth sharing yep. because it will move somebody. So it's first, like, how do we get them to embrace this mindset that no matter where you are in life, no matter how boring you think your life is, no matter how unsuccessful you think you are, or you know how successful you have been on the opposite end that nobody will want to hear it because it will feel like bragging. You have a story that people do want to hear. So that's the first piece. The second piece is when people deliver stories, they focus on so much context and so much of the boring stuff. <laughs> Instead of just thinking, like the easiest way I can say this is think about your favorite movies, television shows, things of that nature. Think of like Star Wars, for instance, they drop you in episode four. First off, they start you in episode four. They drop you immediately into Darth Vader boarding the ship. If you don't think that captures someone's attention, you're crazy. It's the same reason why in in Breaking Bad, they start with this moment where like, you know, Walter White's driving the van with bodies in the back. 
whitey tidies on. He pulls out a gun. It looks like things are going to go really bad for him. And then they go three weeks earlier and lead up to that. Because if you don't catch that attention, if you deliver too much context, people tune out. So, so much of it just comes down to understanding how to drop somebody in the action. Think of a cold open, whether it's like something like the office or it's always sunny in Philadelphia. They're great at just dropping people into with that cold open. And that's really what a story is because you want somebody leaning in and being like, hold on, I've got to figure out what's going on here because this is really interesting. I'm lost. That's what we want. Totally. I was just thinking of, I was thinking of, as you were speaking, we've been watching something. uh, Oh, it's AP bio is the name of the television show, but they do that beautifully. They just kind of have some, they drop you in. There's some kind of situation and then boom, it starts. Or B99 does that. Brooklyn Nine-Nine does that really mm-hmm. nicely as well, where they kind of at least bring you into the episode and and really kind of take you on a journey and capture your attention. What else? What other things are you thinking? So it's the mindset. I also, I also imagine you're experiencing this. You have kind of like a double mindset challenge. A, that I have a story and B, that I can deliver that story in a compelling way, right? Because there's those people also that don't have the confidence. And that's a mindset shift when you're taking someone from, uh, I'm not a really good presenter, a good speaker to, oh, I can do this. I can be successful at this. That's a cool shift to see, isn't it? It is amazing to watch the eyes light up when that happens. Yeah. I remember when I was starting this work and really, I would say I started this work when I was coaching the national mock trial team. And I didn't really know if it was going to work. Like I knew, I knew how to do this stuff. I could do it in a courtroom. My results spoke for themselves. And I was like, can I actually teach somebody this thing? And I remember the way that I teach is very much Socratic method. I don't give you the answers. I really try to encourage you, the the person to figure it out. Now, I'm going to give you all the guidance you need. I'm going to let you understand why you're making the decisions you are, but you've got to figure it out. Because essentially what happened is at the end of that first semester, it was, it was about a week out from the competition. And I got a text message from one of the students said, I hated you this entire semester. They go, <laughs> I, kept, I kept asking you for answers. I kept asking for your help for you to tell me what to do. It drove me crazy because you never would. He said, but I get it now. Yeah. They said, we're a week out and it all clicked. And now I know that I can figure it out no matter what happens in the competition that I can adapt on the fly because I get how to do this thing. And it was like this realization. And then inevitably coaching every semester, I'd have that same experience where my students, but by then I was confident. I was like, it's going to work. I think the hard part about being a coach or teacher in that world is saying like, I know what I'm doing. You, you have to trust me. Yeah. And especially when I'm dealing with some of these people who are running, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in value companies. I'm like, you just have to listen to me. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Like that's, that's, a, that's a big ask for them to say, hey, just hang on. And, and so what we focus on there is, one, we've got to make sure the structure is correct. We've got to think in those like psychological terms. How do we create hooks? How do we make it emotional? How do we create tension, drama, yep. really elevate all those pieces? And again, this is why a lot of times I'll use so much of other references, music, art, television, movies, because we can study those and use those. Like, why are they effective when we watch them, when we listen to them, when we see them? Yep. Use that in your storytelling. And then the second piece of this is what I like to call musicality. And I've talked to a number of classically trained musicians who are playing in symphonies across the world around this idea. Cause I'm like, I think there's something here. And like, we study this too. And we can see the speakers who are the most dynamic in their ranges are the ones that have the like most well-known speeches or the ones that people resonate the most with. And so it's really these two pieces get the structure, right? Understand how to build out all those elements 
and then create this musicality because that musicality is what makes it sticky in the brain for somebody because it triggers that creative side. Just like if I ask you to, to sing back your, like a theme song or some song that you grew up on. For instance, if you ask me to sing, like I know Barbie girl from 1997, like yeah. the back of my hand, <laughs> no matter when it comes on, I can sing it. Like, why is that? Like, I can't remember a lot of speeches, but I can remember Barbie girl is because yeah. it's a catchy tune. Like it's stuck in my mind. And so that's what we want to do when we're speaking to is make it sticky. I'm, I'm thinking right now of this moment because you, you, you just said that really, really nice. And, and I know that you experienced this also, but there's this really, really cool moment when coaching where you have a person who doesn't necessarily believe in their own mind that they can do it but you see a glimmer of it. You see a glimmer of 10 seconds of it, 15 seconds of it. And it's like, okay, it's there. It's in you. I saw it. We just got to pull that out and we got to stretch that for another three or four minutes or five minutes to your point, that musicality, that delivery, that emotion, that drama, that hook, and really, really engaging. And it's this, it's the coolest moment when we see that spark, name it, and then it's just about saying, okay, it's in there. Let's, let's, let's build on that. Let's, let's extend that for 10 minutes, whatever it is, right? Because I'm sure you come up with some of these founders who are technically brilliant. But when it comes to delivering that story, I mean, just like anything else, it takes a little bit of work. I mean, just like so many people presenting, doing anything, they're just like reading, they're reading their PowerPoint. They're reading the bullet points. They're reading their resume. And I'm like, I mean, I can't tell you many people I, I've worked with who get up on a stage and the first way they start is, is they tell me their resume or I'll, <laughs> like, I'll be watching. They're like, Hey, Rob, what'd you think of this? I'm like, you just read your resume for the first minute. Why? <laughs> <was> that's, bad. <laughs> that's, that's your biggest opportunity to grab their attention. And you started by saying like, here's where I've worked. Here's where I've worked. Here's where I've worked. <laughs> like, we, we've missing. The problem is, and again, it, this isn't like that they are making a mistake because they're dumb, they're making no. the mistake because no one has taught them the right way. Yeah. And again, it goes back to this idea. We aren't teaching people this art of rhetoric triangle when it goes to ethos, logos, and, and pathos, right? And what happens is we as people want to think we are logical and reasonable beings. We want to think that, and especially technical people, especially technical founders. Yes. They're like, the computer code works this way, so everything should work this way. Yes. Problem is humans don't. Nope. Humans run on emotion. Yes. We use logic and reason to justify the decision that was based on the emotion. Well, we do the mental gymnastics to try and use logic to justify why we follow. (laughs) And, And if you don't hit it, so like if you don't understand that that's the thing that actually matters. Yeah. You're, you're going to get left behind. And, and really, that's what it comes down to. Is so many of these technical founders, these brilliant individuals, just don't understand because in their mind, it makes sense. But again, this is that mindset shift you have to do when you're speaking, when you're presenting, when you're trying to, to basically sell. And that's really what life comes down to is we're selling our ideas, our vision, our product, our service, whatever it is. It's thinking, what does my audience need to hear? Not, not what makes sense to me, not what makes sense in my brain, because you don't have any of the... in like you don't have all of my experience. You don't have my perspective. You don't have my lens on the world. Oh gosh. Yeah. So if I speak to you in a way that makes sense to me, guess who the only person is that's going to resonate with the message? (laughs) Me. And that's the problem. (laughs) Well, an adjacent comment to this is I think it's Tony Robbins who said something like this, but it's, it goes 
the quote says something to the effect of people who are overly nervous about presenting are only thinking about themselves, right? And I think we get so in our own heads about our ideas and our thoughts and how I'm feeling. And I got to put everything on the slide so I don't forget when, again, to your point, empathizing and designing for that that viewer, that first time viewer, it's a totally different exercise, a totally different exercise. And nine times out of 10, I can be working with, it may be a surgeon, it might be an architect, nine times out of 10, we can cut at least half of what was on that slide and at least let them breathe and shine a little bit differently than what they were about to put into motion. Because I'm sure you've seen people start putting some pretty horrendous things into motion where literally they can't be good. You you can't navigate this slide right here. Well, <laughs> you know, you're dead. You're DOA. <laughs> and slides are such a, an interesting thing when it comes to storytelling and presenting too, Yeah, because so many people make the mistake of just slamming as much information on the slide as possible. The truth is, if you want somebody to be paying attention to what you're saying, you need very little information on that slide. Yep. Typically, when you go beyond 10 words on a slide, the listener cannot focus on you and the slide, and they're yep. going to go back to the slide more often than not. This is yep. why images and even like memes have become very popular on slides oh, yeah. because they're an easy way to translate an idea and make it sticky, but not take away from the attention of the speaker. Yep. So one, we want to always be thinking about how do we make sure that the slide isn't the star of the show? Because the slide really is a way to help, you know, anchor your points, not to take away from your points. And then what story are we telling? This is where like titles and headlines matter so much. I think they're oftentimes these throwaway moments where somebody just puts like the most generic title up there. <laughs> yes. If anytime I look at a, a slide deck, I'm looking at, I'm not even looking at the content on the slide. I'm just, I am looking at the headlines. Do the headlines, do the titles of each slide tell me a story? Do I understand the narrative arc as we're going through it? Nice. And then if you, essentially, if you can create a narrative arc with your titles, you shouldn't need anything else on your slides. Now you can put stuff, but I'm saying you shouldn't need anything else because that narrative arc, that reminder should tell you everything you need to know to present in a compelling way. I love it because you're right. And I've never thought of it in that way, but you're exactly right that that the the titles should provide that arc and should provide the 30,000 foot narrative of the story you're telling. And if it doesn't, or if it's completely boring, that's data, right? And and data can tell a story. This is one of those, you know, misconceptions. In fact, Nancy Duarte does a great job of of storytelling with data. Like that, you know, she's she's fantastic. And I think there's so much to learn from people who are doing this really well. And she also loves visuals. So super smart in the way she sets up presentations. I, I think that if we can change the conversation from thinking about what am I going to put all on the side to what is my narrative in this slide deck and focus on those headlines in a way that when you read it, if you gave it to any person, they'd be like, I understand what you're trying to get across here. Yeah. I don't know it exactly, but I understand what you're trying. Like, I understand the, the main idea. I get that there's something here. Yep. And so many people, when I come into them, I see their sides and it's like the problem, our team, the solution, <laughs> where we're going, the future. I'm like, what is like, that doesn't tell me a single thing about your story. That tells me that is literally what every startup needs to be able to say. So like, what is, what is your thing? What's your product? Why do you win? Why do I care? 
There yes. was a, a fascinating stat the other day that came out, DocSend, which tracks every uh, investor pitch deck that goes out, will actually track how much time investors give on a, on a pitch deck. They, they compile it. And two weeks ago, they released their, their report. And it was the average time spent on a founder's deck was two minutes and 32 seconds. Oh, wow. That was the average time, which means most people are getting less than that. And even if it's two minutes and 32 seconds, you had better find a way to capture their attention. You have better find a way to hook them and get that emotional kind of pull on them where they say, I need to talk to this person. I need to get a meeting with them. Otherwise, like if you just have a bland, the problem, the solution, our team, where we're going, the future, the market, that doesn't tell me a story. That tells me you're one of 10,000. Yep. And you know what? I can find another 10,000. I'm not worried about you because I can just put you aside. That's the problem. And you get lost in the shuffle. Robbie, have you ever explored the Von Restorf effect? I have not. Okay. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's what you just said. Banksy puts together a, a piece of artwork. A person buys it. It shreds. It makes the news because it's totally off the wall. Totally. And he has made a career or she, I guess we don't know totally who Banksy is. Uh, they've made a career off of doing something that's that sets itself apart from the norm. That's what catches our eye. So marketers and psychologists have been studying this for years. What can we do that will separate us and grab the attention of the viewer in a different way than just the normal, the sitcom starts with the same old, same old, same old approach. How do we do it differently? And it's a really cool concept if you get a chance to look it up. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but it's a lot of fun because I'm constantly thinking about that. But you, you basically just said the concept, right? What? How am I going to stand out? What's unique about me and why is this different? And again, to your point, economists found out a long time ago, and you as an attorney know this very, very well, that humans don't make decisions solely based on logic, even sometimes even a little bit based on logic, <laughs> it's emotion. And, and that's what drives. And so if, if that story and that arc and those images, I think Duarte, yeah, they call it the billboard, the billboard effect or the billboard test. You know, can I check in and look at it really quickly? Cause that's all a billboard is. It's a big meme, right? It's, it's telling me a message. And then all of a sudden, you know, I feel like I, I need to go buy a Miller Lite or something, whatever it is. I love how you're thinking, sir. I love what what are some other you'd mentioned Duarte, but what are some other resources that you turn to that you find really, really valuable, Robbie? I mean, I, I named a couple of them. I think Pixar storytelling is just yeah. genius. I think there's so much to learn from that. I think obviously Cialdini is a classic when it comes to persuasion. If you don't understand that stuff, I, I mean, good luck. Well, but then I study a lot of less traditional sources like movies, television, different things like that. And I build these into what I call an inspiration list because anytime something really hits me where I feel it, yeah, I'm like, great, let's pull that in because yeah. at some point I'm going to need to recreate that. And now I have this list I can just scan and be like, oh, I remember that triggered me feeling this way. I want my audience to feel like that. How did this show do it to me? How did a scene in Peaky Blinders do this to me? Right. Yeah. And I'm going to pull that out and figure out, like, I actually use this in the the very last trial I ever tried was a murder case that I was defending because I thought it was self-defense. And I remember I found this scene from the West Wing. It was season one, episode eight, I believe, take the Sabbath day. And it's about capital punishment, but it's a conversation between Toby Ziegler, who is the, the communications director at the White House in the show, and a rabbi. And they're talking about vengeance is not Jewish. And it's the way that they're speaking about it. 
in the, the tone, there's this very melancholy music being played. The lighting is super dark. The conversation is soft and intimate with big pauses. And I remember like every time I'd watch, it, I'd get chills and just like feel this, this moment of maybe it's not right. And so what I did for this closing argument, when this guy was facing, you know, 25 years to life in prison for something I really thought that he should be going home for, I essentially turned that vengeance is not Jewish into vengeance is not justice as my theme. And then I built around that. But the way I delivered it was all based on these like these moments. I was very soft, very quiet, very intimate. I tried to recreate every piece of that sort of scene that I could through my words and through my delivery mechanisms. And as a result, that jury ended up coming back with a not guilty verdict eight hours later. And so he did, in fact, go home. But without that inspiration, I would have never been able to do so. So I think this is one of those pieces that I like to tell people. Consumption has this this negative connotation around it right now. And I think that that is totally wrong. What makes it a positive is when it is intentional consumption. And I think there is something to be learned from virtually everything that we consume from reality shows to anime, to West wing, to books we read, to autobiographies, to fiction. I mean, some of my favorite books around storytelling are fiction. It's gates of fire by Stephen Pressfield. And it is the things they carried by Tim O'Brien. They're just masterful at the way they structure it and the way they talk about emotional truth. You can learn more from those. Dune is another great example. Mm -hmm. The movie just came out. The book is unbelievable when it comes to storytelling and world building. So I tell people is find the things that are resonating with you, that make you feel, that bring you to life and figure out why. Because the moment we can get more in touch with the emotions inside of us, the more we can translate those and recreate those to our audience externally. I think it's so brilliant. So brilliant. Because literally to your point, there's, there's the curriculum is all around us. And if we're looking for it, and if we're paying attention to our own emotional state, you know, why is it that I'm crying when Forrest is at Jenny's grave? Well, the music starts, (laughs) right? (laughs) It's a wide shot of him looking at her grave. And all of a sudden, all of this is working in concert to make me feel a certain way. But that's deliberate on the part of, of the director. That's deliberate on the part of the author. That's deliberate on the part of the musician, right? Because again, to your point, if your eyes are open and you're in tune with that and it can go the opposite way, why am I, why am I so incredibly checked out right now? Why am I so bored and totally not, not it? I, I'm trying right now, Robbie, I've gone back four times to try and watch this show invasion on Apple. I can't, I can't get myself to, and I'm, and so, but that emotion is important because I need to understand why I feel that way. Right. Because there's clues there. If we want to talk about like very traditional, you can read things like, you know, building a story brand is, is, is a great way of thinking about storytelling story worthy by Matthew Dix is, is another good source to go and read. You can watch the great speeches by MLK and JFK and Amanda Gorman. You can watch Brene Brown's talk on vulnerability. You can go and get all these pieces. You can study comedians, honestly, study Dave Chappelle, study Trevor Noah, study these people that are are really great storytellers. And most comedians don't get the credit that they deserve. Oh yeah. Because what they actually are, are great storytellers that are able to make you laugh at the same time. Now I'm not talking about like slapstick humor. I'm talking about the ones that I really think are the elite comedians are the ones who are storytellers they're using it to make you think deeply about issues, but also are able to make it laugh. So it feels safe to have the conversation. And that's really beautiful and powerful. So again, 
you can study from pretty much anywhere. And that's kind of the fun part of all this stuff. Well, Robbie, you just made me think of, I just finished Amy Schumer has a documentary on HBO max, I believe right now, but a, it's a, it's, it's about her being pregnant, but she's basically the documentary is about her building up to this show that she's doing while she's pregnant, but it really goes behind the scenes as to how a, a joke evolves over time, how it's shifted, where it's placed and the intentionality that goes into all of that. So by the time I'm filming my special, I've elongated the set. I know what works. And I basically walk into the place and, and, and the design exists. The, 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 the pie has been baked. It's ready to go, but it's really cool to see that process. It just is. Kevin, Kevin, Hart, Kevin Hart talks about this too. Yeah. He says that it will oftentimes take him a year and a half to be ready for like a live tour because yeah. he's practicing so long. And, and the most interesting piece isn't that it takes a long time because I understand that. But the most interesting piece that he was talking about is he'll be testing them, his jokes and his sets at smaller venues, right? Just to yep. see how it's going. And he'll get laughs. But he said, what I'm actually listening for is what kind of laugh is it? Huh. Like he's going deeper because he's like, it should be a certain type of laugh. And if I don't hear that type of laugh, I scrap it and we restart. Like I go back to the beginning because I know that something's not right. And having that level, like I, I love Eminem too, his process. I mean, that man, he literally studied the dictionary. So he knew every word possible to be able to rhyme. And then if you've ever seen the 60 minute interview, he just has like legal notepads everywhere with rhymes and, and verses and things written all over them. Yeah. And it's this great reminder that all this stuff is learnable, but it also is challenging. Like you have to put in the time. So like it's learnable, but it's not overnight. Yeah. Can we take somebody and turn them into a much better presenter, into a great storyteller in two, three months, if they have like that, that kind of core ability at their heart? Sure. I can get them to great to get somebody to elite, to really world-class where you are just captivating any audience you walk into that takes a long time. I mean, I've been doing this. Being a trial lawyer is competitive storytelling. Yeah, I've been honing this for <laughs> since I was in law school on the National Mock Trial Team myself. And that was back in 2011 yeah. when I started that journey. So like, you know, we're 10, 10 plus years into this with no signs of stopping. And, and that's the fun part. Like I continue to get better. I continue to learn. And, and the truth is I learn from other people. This is a never ending process for me to learn and listen. Like I, I said, Nancy Duarte, she's incredible. Like I learn from, from people like that all the time because there are titans of the industry who do this really well yep. and have, and I just want to be able to build on top of what they've already been able to achieve and bring a new perspective to hopefully reach more people. And you are, you are. Robbie, how can people get in touch with you, learn more about you, learn more about your work? Because uh, again, I think how you've chosen to embrace social media and build a presence in that space, I think that's one version of how you're carving out your own niche in a really, really nice way. Uh, so, so how can people get in touch with your work? So on Twitter, my handle is at Robbie Crab, R-O-B-B-I-E-C-R-A-B. Then on both LinkedIn and Instagram, it's at the Robbie Crab. Those are the, the easiest ways to get in contact with me. Great. You can always find my, my website is, is robbiecrab.com. Okay. So you can read writing and then any email that somebody wants to send is just robbie at robbiecrab.com. Great. So pretty easy. Like all my DMs are open. I talk to people. 
I can't always help everybody because uh, sometimes it gets flooded, but I am, I, I do like to try to help. And there's pl- plenty of, I write a lot. I create a lot of content, lots of free resources, video content, things along those lines. So i um, always happy to point people in the right direction to help them as much as I can, because I mean, there's just, the world needs so much help on this. And, and I want to see people who are better communicators, better storytellers, because at the end of the day, that makes my life a whole lot more fun too. Because I love listening to great storytellers. I love I love like being immersed into different worlds. And the only way we do that is if people can take me there. I agree. Okay. While I'm thinking of it, first, thank you for your good work. Second, let's continue the dialogue. I'd love to down the road, do an episode with you where we just talk about 10 seemingly disparate sources that helped inform our work. I think that could be a really fun conversation. I I love the Walter White references and even your storytelling reminded me of the writing of John Krakauer, Into Thin Air, where he kind of drops you into a setting, shit's hitting the fan and oh my gosh. And then we go back and we start talking about, okay, how did we get there? So I I think the, the curriculum of life, so to speak, if we have a certain lens on, we can learn in really any direction. That's the fun part. It doesn't have to be boring uh, just studying textbooks. It's like, no. do, the th- do the things you enjoy and then just use those to inform your ability to create and be more interesting and more persuasive and compelling as a speaker. That's kind of the fun part is I get to basically do dual purpose for everything. I get to enjoy it. It's entertaining me, but then I get to use it on the flip side yep. for business purposes. Yep. Which then makes you relevant and your examples relevant and contemporary. And I love it. Okay, sir. Thank you so much for stopping by today. I appreciate it. Thanks, Scott. This was fantastic. Okay. Be well. What a fun conversation with Robbie. You know, many would suggest that one attribute of great leaders are their abilities to tell stories. And a number of individuals were kind of highlighted in that episode as individuals who are great at storytelling. And so I think it's an important part of the conversation. It's an offshoot of the whole realm of communication. That whole storytelling component is critical. And I think another really important thing here is that Ravi is just a master of seeing connections in his everyday environment. He might be consuming the film Dune and he's seeing connections. He's making those connections and he's seeing opportunity in some of that stimuli, which I think is just a lot of fun and very, very, very cool. If you are intrigued by the conversation, in the show notes, you can find how to follow Ravi on a whole bunch of different mediums, very active on LinkedIn, very active on Twitter, and helping founders of startups tell their stories has helped a number of startups raise millions and millions of dollars and been very, very successful at what he's done. So check out those resources and give him a follow. And I promise you'll catch something pretty darn cool. So take care, everybody. Be well. As always, thank you so much for checking in. And I hope you are well. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro.
You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.